Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. We've counseled them. We're glad you're back with us on Know Your Bible today and hope you're ready to study the Bible, learn a little bit more about your Bible. That's all we do on this program is answer viewers' questions. Uh, in case you want to ask us one, there's a phone number and a website on the screen. Use those anytime and uh, just tell us what you'd like to talk about and we'll put it in the stack and get to it as quickly as we can. Uh, we get real general questions, we get a lot of detailed ones, and we get some life kind of questions. What about this or that at home or work or school that's going on? What's the Bible say about that? And we'll try to help you think through that and find some principles from the Bible. So uh, get in touch with us. You direct the program, and we just answer questions as quickly as we can. When I say we, I mean I, Steve Tandy, and Toby Leverings here. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're here and ready to go. We've got some good ones coming up. I got one about unicorns, so we'll start with that in a moment. Uh, but first, we got one about uh, Elijah. Uh, he got fed by the birds. Uh, which kind of bird? brought Elijah his food for a period of time. So we'll answer that for you at the end of the program, see if you know about Elijah and his bird friends. All right, since we're on animals, let's talk about unicorns. Does the Bible mention unicorns? And I'll have to say yes and no, depending on which translation you have. Uh, the King James and maybe a few others uh, do use the word unicorn. Uh, and let's just look at the verse, Job chapter 39, verses 9 through 12. Uh, God says to Job, will the wild ox, that's what most translations say, but King James says unicorn, will the wild ox or unicorn consent to serve you? Will it stay by your manger at night? Can you hold it to the furrow with a harness? Can you trust it to haul in your grain and bring it to your threshing floor? Uh, so from the tone of that, obviously the wild ox or unicorn, the King James says, was not a domesticated beast. Uh, it was something that you couldn't put in the pen and have by the house and use to plow your grain and all that. Uh, it was a wild animal. So uh, while the King James says unicorn, we don't really know what it was. Uh, we presume it was a one-horned animal of some sort, or a horned animal at least. Uh, a rhinoceros maybe is a pretty good guess from some folks. Uh, it was not a pretty pony kind of unicorn like we see today. Uh, those, as far as we know, did not exist. It's a mythical beast. So it was probably more of a wild ox, a rhinoceros kind of creature that the Bible's talking about. And unicorn is kind of an unfortunate translation, but that's the most we know about it. We just don't know what kind of creature it was. And there's a lot of creatures like that in the Bible that are mentioned. Uh, the Leviathan and some others 
we don't know what they were for sure, but they existed at one time and have passed on. <laughs> okay. Uh, question about uh, divorce. Uh, viewer writes, I am still resentful about my wife leaving me 20 years ago. When I die, will I be saved? Well, just clarify here, we do not get into the judgment business. I know your Bible, and so uh, will you be saved is between you and God. Uh, I can speak to uh, a little bit about resentment and forgiveness. Uh, of course, divorce is a terrible thing, and uh, someone leaving you, uh, I don't know the situation or uh, the context of it, but I do know that it's a terrible thing. Uh, it scars all parties involved, and you probably never fully get over it. You just learn to uh, live with it, I think. Um, it's uh, not God's will. It's not what He intended for, for a husband and wife. And um, I'm sorry that you're going through that. Uh, I'm sorry that it's been with you for so long. And that's a lot of people carry wounds and, and things from a long time ago in their past. And I will say that the Scripture is quite clear that if anyone wants uh, forgiveness from God, uh, the, the, the only catch to that is they have to be willing to extend that forgiveness to other people. Uh, I don't say that haphazardly uh, or uh, without uh, understanding what you're going through. I realize that's a hard thing. Uh, forgiveness can be a hard thing, uh, especially in certain situations. It can be terribly hard to get past that mental uh, obstacle. Uh, but I've always liked the saying that forgiveness is forgiving. Uh, for, forgiveness is a wonderful idea, lofty idea, and, and, and we all love to hear about it for receiving for ourselves, uh, but when it comes to forgiving other people, eh, we're a little more hesitant. And uh, God just says, if you want my forgiveness, uh, that's what you have to do. Uh, I will say I think you'll be more at peace. I think your life will be better uh, if you've truly been wronged and it was just a... a uh, a tragic injustice and your wife left you for no good reason I'm not saying that is the case but but even if if you were totally in the right and she was totally in the wrong forgiveness is still going to help you move past that uh, and allow you to lay the burden down that you've been carrying someone once said that uh, bitterness or resentment is like swallowing a poison and waiting for someone else to die uh, that that you know we got to learn that the attitude that we have inwardly very little, uh, very few times has an effect uh, that we want it to on other people. It affects us. It, it, it uh, harms our relationships. It hinders us from growing personally, uh, but it doesn't achieve that which we really want it to do. Uh, I like what someone said about forgiveness, that forgiveness is setting someone free and realizing that it was you that was set free ultimately. Of course, the Bible always says it best, and here's how Jesus said it. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Uh, forgiveness could be a hard thing, but it's absolutely the right thing to do. So I hope that you will do it, and I'll be praying that you will.
All right, question about speaking in tongues, and we get this occasionally. Viewer wants to know, what should we do about speaking in tongues today? Well, let's back up just a little bit and think through this. Uh, First thing we have to do is understand what speaking in tongues was and what speaking in tongues is. There's a difference. What speaking in tongues was in the first century, when we read the book of Acts, uh, we read about speaking in tongues a little bit on the day of Pentecost. And then when we read 1 Corinthians, uh, we read about some problems with speaking in tongues. And what speaking in tongues was, was speaking in languages, other languages. And its purpose was so people could understand the gospel message. Day of Pentecost, the twelve apostles speaking to the crowd. They spoke in a language that people understood, and it was an amazing thing. All the people from all these different countries said, "I, I can hear in my own language." Okay, so they got the gospel message. That's the way it worked. Paul was a missionary. He said, I speak in tongues more than any of you. When he went to a new place that spoke a different language, the Holy Spirit enabled him to teach the gospel in that language. He didn't have to learn it, didn't have to study it. That would be pretty helpful today, wouldn't it, if it was a gift of tongues still existed. But it was for the spreading of the gospel, got the church started. Okay, Then, in 1 Corinthians, like I told you, the church in Corinth, was misusing the gift of tongues. They were using it in worship for uh, showing off about they had this gift and other people didn't have this gift and all that. And here's what Paul told them. So remember, this is what speaking in tongues was. Paul told them in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So Paul said... All of these miraculous gifts that we have, uh, they're going to stop. They're going to pass away. Once we've got the completed Word of God and all that, there won't be a need for these things anymore, and they're just going to stop. So that's what the speaking in tongues was, and it has ceased, we believe. Now, what is speaking in tongues today? What is it? Uh, There's been lots of studies. People have studied... uh, tongue speakers all over the world. Uh, Number one, they've never found a foreign language that the person hadn't studied or been exposed to before. Uh, They find a very basic uh, childlike language that's done by allowing the subconscious to take over, disconnecting the conscious and letting the subconscious just babble it's very very similar to baby talk when a child first starts to babble and make sounds uh, that's what speaking in tongues is like now people that teach that it's a gift of God they feel good about it Uh, they call it a devotional language They, they believe that it makes them closer to God it believes that God has blessed them in a certain way and so it makes them feel better So you might say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, nothing wrong with that, except uh, they're fooling themselves. Uh, They're kind of convincing people that they have a special gift that other people don't have. And there's some problems there. But anyhow, that's the difference between what speaking in tongues was and what speaking in tongues is. So our viewer says, what should we do about it? Well, 
I don't think there's anything to do about it. We can study it and educate ourselves and understand what it is. Uh, I will say this, if somebody believes in speaking in tongues, believes they really have the Holy Spirit-given gift of speaking in other languages, uh, if you believe that, then you have to follow the rules. And 1 Corinthians 15 goes on to give the rules. Uh, Paul says, this is to people that had the real gift in the first century. Uh, He said, if you're going to use it, first of all, it's a sign for unbelievers. It's not to just pump believers up. It's so you can talk to unbelievers about the gospel that don't know your language. First rule. It's not for the church. It's for unbelievers. Uh, Second rule, if you're going to use it in worship time, uh, two or three people can do it, but uh, never at the same time. And no women can do it, and it has to always be interpreted. There has to be somebody with the gift of interpretation to tell us what that meant. Uh, So if you really believe you have the gift today and want to use it in your church, uh, just make sure that the church is following all those rules. And uh, then God may be blessing you with something. But if you're not using it that way, uh, you might ask yourself, do we really have the actual gift of tongues or do we have a modern day phenomena uh, that's just a feel good kind of subconscious talking all right let me take this moment and uh, invite you to study the bible with us in a little different way Uh, we answer a few questions each week but we've got some bible study tools that you can use at home uh, that are a great way to study the bible here's one set of lessons and you notice the first two lessons are the old testament the new testament Uh, those are foundational you have to know the difference between the old and new testament Uh, then once you've gotten through that course and learned a lot about the bible we've got more advanced courses that go into uh, the book of acts and the life of christ and lots of uh, more detailed studies some of them are a lot longer and you can study the bible a long time with know your bible study tools We've added a new set of lessons that you see there at the top of this page. And uh, we've also got some online ways to study the Bible. Just log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org and it'll get you connected with some folks that can help you uh, study online. And you can do that with your phone, your tablet, your PC, whatever, and not have to use the mail system and uh, go a little bit quicker if you want to, or if you still get to go at your own pace, but uh, got some online tools that you can use. So use the phone number website at the bottom of the screen or log on to that uh, World Bible School uh, special uh, URL, and we'll get you started studying the Bible. All right, Toby. All right, a person asked a question. If you had sex before marriage and then married that person and stayed faithful to him until he died, does God forgive you? Well, my answer to that is God can forgive you. God can forgive any sin, uh, whatever it is. And, and, of course, we understand premarital sex is a sin, uh, considered a sin. Uh, but like any other sin... All sin was paid for at the cross through the blood of Jesus. And all sin, uh, including this one, uh, can be forgiven. Uh, Jesus pronounced the words, It is finished when He died. Uh, what is three words in our language is one word. And in the Greek, it's tetelestah, which the translation of that word means paid in full. 
uh, the debt of our sin was paid for and, through the blood of Jesus. It's up to us whether or not we want to accept that gift uh, that God or that Jesus offered to us uh, through Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter one verse seven says, "In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches." Of God's grace, so certainly uh, your sin can be forgiven. All sin can be forgiven if you are in Christ. If you are a Christian, your sins are not only forgiven once, but they are continually washed away. They are uh, um, washed in the blood. You don't have to be rebaptized every time you sin. Uh, you are in Christ, and it's His blood uh, that continually cleanses us. Of course, if we sin. Uh, we need to repent, not do that anymore, but but we can have confidence uh, that we're forgiven and uh, know uh, that we're forgiven not because of what we have done, but because of what he did. Uh, let's look at First John chapter 1, and John is pretty clear about this. He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say to ourselves, we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So yes, you can be forgiven as all sin can be forgiven. I hope that helps and I hope it gives you some hope. Alrighty, if you ever want to know, does the Bible say anything about birth control or sterilization? <clears throat> And as far as I know, my answer is no. I don't think the Bible mentions that in any way, shape, or form. Uh, there's one story about Onan, O-N-A-N, in the Old Testament that some people call birth control or think it applies. It doesn't. It's about God's rules of heredity and all that. But you can look up Onan and learn that story if you want. But that has nothing to do with birth control, I'm sure. Uh, so, the Bible doesn't talk about it. Now, some people take a, a Bible principle and believe, uh, turn it into an idea that, no, you shouldn't use any kind of birth control or uh, any, anything like that to prevent pregnancy. And a verse that's often used is Psalm chapter 127 and verse 3. Let's look at that together. Uh, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord the fruit of the womb, a reward. Okay, so some people look at verses like that and say, okay, uh, God decides if we should have children, and if he blesses us with children, we ought to have children. If he blesses us with two children or four children or eight children, we ought to have children. Uh, some people interpret it that way and think about it that way. It's a gift of God, and we just let him decide how many children we have. We trust completely in God. Uh, that's one view. Another view is, okay, we've figured out uh, different ways to prevent pregnancy. And in this world, with financial problems and health problems and world conditions and all that, if we can uh, have some decision or say in whether or not to have a child that's just using our heads that's just being wise that's best for the child that's best for us there are situations 
there are health conditions, there are financial conditions uh, where a child would make a hardship. Now, I realize you can go too far either direction on that, uh, but some people reason that. All right, we've got the sense and the ability to prevent pregnancy, uh, so we ought to utilize that wisdom. Now, which side you're on is up to you. It's a conscience of decision that you can make, but the Bible doesn't say anything against birth control or sterilization. Let me clarify one thing before I quit. There is a huge difference, a monumental difference, between preventing pregnancy and terminating pregnancy. So don't take anything I said uh, to think that I'm endorsing terminating pregnancies. I'm saying some people uh, believe that preventing pregnancy is perfectly fine and the wise thing to do. But terminating a pregnancy after it's begun uh, is way different than preventing what uh, abortion is not a birth control method let me just make it real clear there uh, once god has started a life uh, we should keep that life and raise it or get someone who loves it to, to raise it and is able to raise it uh, difference between preventing pregnancy and terminating pregnancy okay uh, I invite you to visit a church of Christ near you. We talk about this just a little bit each week because we're sponsored by churches of Christ. And I'd like to mention those that help us. And today let me mention a couple that are east of Wichita on the east side of Wichita where the home church of Know Your Bible originates from in Wichita, Kansas. Uh, Augusta, Kansas and the East Point Congregation on 127th Street East. Uh, both long-time solid supporters of Know Your Bible. And Augusta, if you drop in there, you'll hear Jesse LeMay teaching the gospel. A fine young man and doing a good job there at East Point. Michael Jones is the minister and uh, shares with the family there. So uh, if you live on the east side of town or near Augusta, drop in and visit them sometime, especially if you're looking for a church home. You'd find some great folks uh, and they would warmly welcome you. Uh, whatever market you're in, you're probably close to a church of Christ invite you to visit them or at least tell them thanks for keeping Know Your Bible on the air. All right, Toby, what's your viewer after here? Well, they want to know about discipline right. and specifically with children. The question is, do you think the, first, the verse about spare the rod and spoil the child is misquoted and misused? Uh, well, certainly misquoted because uh, spare the rod and spoil the child is not actually in the Bible. It's a misquote of Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. So let's look at Proverbs 13, 24. Uh, Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Now, we've got to understand that, uh, as the proverb says, that uh, those who love, parents who love their children are intentional and purposeful about training and disciplining their children. And uh, the the rod, the idea of uh, having a a switch or something that you use to paddle their backside when they're younger uh, was something practiced, uh, well, really not just back in Bible times, but for a lot of time. Uh, that was an effective disciplinary measure, and in my opinion, it's still an effective one. Uh, there are uh, 
rare cases where people have abused it, when people have, not, have moved from discipline into abusing a child, and that's not what we're talking about. Uh, this is intentional, purposeful, a painful experience for the purpose of training their little heart uh, in the correct way in which they should go. And by the way, uh, the rod of discipline is not the only means of discipline. Uh, I, I think it's really only effective at a, at a young age, and you use it with discretion. You don't uh, paddle a child um, uh, just uh, and go overboard with it for every minor indiscretion. They won't learn from that. All they'll happen is they'll be a dysfunctional, fearful, anxiety-ridden person. Uh, but doing it here and there for major offenses and for uh, causes that you deem appropriate uh, is okay and fine to do. And God says that if you're a parent who loves your child, you're diligent about that process. So, uh, But as I say, it's not the only way to do it. There are other means that you you know, it's one tool in your uh, uh, ability as a parent and your responsibility, more precisely, uh, uh, to discipline, train, and raise your children. So, uh, because you want, if you want your children to be successful, to be blessed in this life, you discipline your children and you train them and you raise them up. Um, as a parent myself, I can tell you this particular measure of discipline is hard. No parent wants to uh, to to do that to their child, and that, that God wired us so we don't overdo it. And God made us so when we're doing it right, it is hard, but we do it uh, to teach them and help them along the way. So it is difficult. That's good. <laughs> That's how God designed it to be. But just because it's difficult doesn't mean it shouldn't be done. And if it's done thoughtfully and with prayer, it can be very effective as we train up our children in the way they should go. And that's Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. And discipline is an important part at any age. Hope that helps you. Okay. Jesus wasn't born in the time of Moses, so how were people in those days saved? Well, good question. Jesus wasn't born during any of the Old Testament period, so there's a whole lot of people back there, Moses and David and Joshua and all of them we can think of. How were they saved? Uh, excellent question, and the Bible gives us an excellent answer. Uh, Romans chapter 4 and verse 3 says this, What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So, everybody in the Old Testament was credited with righteousness if they believed God. Now, to really understand that, read chapter 11 of Hebrews, and it talks about the Old Testament heroes of faith, and you'll see a pattern the more you read. It'll say, Abraham, by faith... And then it'll say what he did. And Moses, by faith, and what he did. Uh, everybody showed that they believed God by doing what God said. God told Abraham, leave this land and go somewhere that I'll show you. And by faith, he left Ur. He did what God said. So, that happens all through the Old Testament. That's how they were justified. That's how they were credited with righteousness and... That's really the same way we are today. If we believe God, we'll do what he says. Now, he tells us to repent and be baptized, a number of other things. 
we believe God will do what he says. All right, we're glad you've been with us, but let's make sure we answer our trivia question. Which bird brought food to Elijah? And that was his friend, the ravens, fed him for quite a while. Glad you've been with us today. Hope you come back next week. Till then, you just have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.